Hello, and welcome to the Dismantle Racism Show. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. The goal of this show is to educate and to eradicate and really just dismantle racism one step at a time. I'm really excited to be back with you all this week. We've had a few uh, episodes that were repeats, but today we have a live show and I'm really excited because I also have a guest interviewer with me today, uh, Angela Todd, which you have uh, seen her before in her brilliance interview me around what made me who I am. And in honor of Father's Day, we are back to take a look at some of the men in my life who helped to shape me and to make me who I am. And Angela Todd is a historian and archivist. She'll say more about herself. For those of you who may be new to her, uh, who, she really believes that our stories as women matter and particularly our stories as women of color who've been left out of the books. And so a part of the reason why she uh, does this work around helping us to reclaim our story is so that we can know the truth of history so that we can also erase some of the stereotypes that we have out here about people of color or about Black people to tell our true story. And so today on the show, we are going to highlight, again, the men who helped to raise me, to shape me, and who actually led by example. So we're talking about how actions speak louder than words. So I want you really to grab your friends, tell people to listen to today's show. I want you to send messages to us on Facebook about what you think about the show uh, on, on YouTube. Send us messages. You can text me if you happen to know my number, text Angela and ask the questions that you think would be relevant. It is important for us to be able to spread these stories and I need your help to do that. I am almost very close close to 100 episodes. Now, I actually have more than 100, but some of them are repeats. But we are doing this work because we want to really, really eradicate racism. And I need you to help me spread the word. So I want you to go to Talk Radio NYC. Make sure that you're listening. Go to sacredintelligence.com. Go to uh, iTunes, uh, Amazon Prime, Google Play, everywhere that you get your music and subscribe to this show and tell others about it. I know you're listening because some of you will tell me how much you love the show, but I need you to help spread the word. I also want to encourage you, if you've not done so, get a copy of my book, Dismantling Racism, Healing Separation from the Inside Out, because it starts with us. And accompanying that book are meditations that you can get wherever you enjoy your music, you can go to those places and get your music. Now, I want to help us do what we always do to start the show is to ground ourselves. And the reason why we ground ourselves is because sometimes, a lot of times, when we talk about race, it creates these feelings inside of us. And if we do not position ourselves to be collected when we have the discussions it will make it more difficult to get our points across for us to think about the questions we want to answer and just stay in that place of love while we're having such a difficult conversation. So I want to invite you, if you're able to, if you're not driving, to get comfortable, close your eyes, and just simply begin to breathe. And I want to invite you to take a deep breath in and then to slowly release that breath. Take another deep breath in and then slowly blow that breath out. And then begin to just be in tune with your normal rhythm and breathing. And then connect with your divine intelligence your divine wisdom, your sacred source. And as you know what I like to call it, your sacred intelligence, that divine part of you that helps you to make intelligent choices that will manifest your greatness 
while at the same time, helping you to manifest the greatness of others. So breathe in and out, connecting with your power and connecting with the people who came before you, the people who supported you and loved you, or even connecting with the people in your present life who support you. And because this is in honor of fathers, I want you to connect with those people who have fathered you in loving ways. Maybe it was not your biological father, but maybe there are other men in your life who showed up for you, who've been there for you, who've nurtured you and guided you. And think about what they meant to you. Think about what they taught you with an understanding of how to connect with other people in the world. Perhaps people who were different from you in terms of race or ethnicity, gender, sexuality, class, age. And I just want you to give gratitude for those men in your life. Give gratitude for the men who perhaps are the father of your children, if you have children. And whether they've been perfect or not, just give gratitude. Connect soul to soul, energy to energy, humanity to humanity. And just breathe in and out. Owning who you are at this time in space on the planet. Honoring what you've been called to do. Honoring your gifts. Just breathe in and out. Connecting with your source and your power. With each breath. And then recognize that what you do matters. That the power of one contributes to the power of community. I want you to take a deep breath in. And as you slowly sigh it out. We say, and so it is. Ashe. Amen. And when you're ready, open your eyes. Ah, that feels good. Feels good to me. And I could see my guest is nodding as well, that it feels good to her. So I want to just welcome Angela Todd back with me this morning. I'm so grateful anytime that I can be in Angela's presence and so grateful for the ways in which Angela helps me to just remember my heritage. Angela has been on the show before. She has talked with us about um, my mother, about the women in my life from my little town in Waterford, Mississippi. Uh, I've done classes with Angela where she's helped me to uh, really find my, my roots and uh, we're still doing some work around that, but she really is so very patient and good and informative. And I want to just invite you, if you have not reached out to Angela yet, so that she can help you find your story, you must, must do that. It doesn't matter whether it's women or not. She will help you find the stories about uh, anyone in your life. But it's really uh, a way of preserving our history. So I want you to reach out to Angela and I want you to ask your questions as well. And so when I wanted to do a Father's Day show, I knew that Angela was the best person to do that. We've worked together. We are colleagues. Um, she's coached me. I've coached her. We've just, we're just all in and I love her to pieces. So I just want to 
Welcome, Angela Todd, back to the show. Hello, Angela. Thank you so much, Terilyn. I love being in your presence also. It's been a while since it's been in real life. So maybe yes. we can see that. No. We hope to remedy that. We hope. But life moves on, right? And it, it's, bit, it's busy, but we are thankful for Zoom and phone calls and all of that. So Angela, I'm, I'm really excited to have you here because I, I, I'm excited because actually I don't have to do the interviewing for one. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm also excited because I know between the two of us, we will uncover and share some things that are really critical with helping other people to understand how they can lead by example and that actions really are um, uh, louder than words, really. Yeah. It's all yours. I'm excited to be here. So, Terilyn, you know I worked for 18 years in a science archive, and it was to uh, capture biographical information about the scientists. And I spent most of those 18 years looking for and trying to add women and people of color and non-dominant, historically excluded folks into the archives because the way it was set up in the 60s, you had to be this brand of scientist. And so for women, of course, you got your science degree and then you married a scientist. But if you weren't employed by one, you were not included. I mean, if you weren't employed as a scientist, you weren't included. And it was similar for people of color. Even if you got that degree, you would be a lab assistant or whatever. And so it took a lot of time and a lot of convincing, actually, to be able to rework that card catalog system into a bigger electronic database where we could ask more complicated questions. So I feel like that's one of the ways that structural racism works like all by itself there's nobody mm. there behind it right so to right. in that um and what i think the overlap with this interview is is that it's the real people on the ground not just people with the title or people right people that are leading by example people that are doing the work not mm. just the people that have a particular designation like being a scientist or whatever right 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 um so anyway I'm excited to interview you. I see we've got a minute to break, but we're going to talk about um, your dad, an important community member, and ooh, another important community member who will be yes. surprised. So yes. I'm excited about all of that. I am too. So so we're going to pause for our, our break now, and when we come back, Angela and I are going to dig deep into um, my special town. Of Waterford, Mississippi. I mean, really, it's a really, really uh, special community. And I, I I just thank God that I was born there and raised there and for the people who impacted my life. So we'll be right back with the Dismantle Racism Show. My guest host today is Angela Todd, and we'll be right back. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. What really drives success in business? Introducing Intangify, the show that explores the intangible assets that create value and growth. I'm Matthew Asbell, your host and an attorney focused on innovation. Join me Fridays at noon Eastern to discover how innovation, culture, and other intangibles shape thriving companies from startups to established businesses. We'll share strategies to unleash your business's true potential. Tune in live on talkradio.nyc Fridays at noon Eastern and Intangify, your business today. Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 
Well, we are back with uh, the Dismantle Racism Show. And Angela, I'm turning it over to you again. And take yourself off mute, Angela. So I'm really excited for this. Uh, you and I have talked about this first gentleman many, many times. And I wonder if I could ask you a few general questions to bring listeners into a level of intimacy or knowledge that we already have. We're gonna talk about your dad. Um, and if you would just give us his full name, his line of work, and just describe what kind of dad he was. So, uh, you know, my dad's name is LQ, uh, was LQ, Nathaniel Curry. And, as I say in my first book, Sacred Intelligence, my dad was a perfectly imperfect man. And he was a mason by trade. He would brick houses. He also was an elder in the church. And that is significant, right? Because I'm going to talk about another elder in the church soon. But for me, my dad, what's really interesting is he was such a part of my journey to become a minister. So he was so much more when I grew up, right? But I don't even have time to tell you all uh, about my dad. Well, I will tell you this. My dad paid attention to everything that was happening to us. So I'm the youngest of 10. My dad would notice little changes in us and he would ask us about them. Sometimes we wouldn't know ourselves that something was going on. Like once my sister came home from college and her ankles were swollen and he looked down at her feet and he says, why, why are your ankles swollen? And she looks down and she goes, oh my gosh, I didn't even know they were swollen. Right. I can think about changes that happen in my life that I will not say here uh, on the show, but he would ask me, you know, about, Hey, what's going on? Right. One of my other sisters, um, he he knew uh, that that she was with child before she did. And, you know, he was kind of saying something to her about it. And she was like, what is he talking about? So he paid attention to us, especially the girls. I'm sure the boys, you know, had their uh, their own uh, ideas about my dad as well. But I just know he paid attention to what was really going on with us. And that's important. My dad was the kind of person also that um, when my children's father uh, broke his legs and I had just started divinity school. My father was in his seventies. He came up to care for my kids for, uh, I can't remember whether it was just a couple of weeks or a month, but I, however, he came up. How old were they? They, oh my gosh, they were two and four. See, I wouldn't sign up for that. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And so, and so what's important for folks to know is that um, their dad had to be in recovery, you know, at a, at a nursing facility. I was working two jobs and he came up to take care of these two-year-olds, these four-year-olds and uh, a two-year-old and a four-year-old, excuse me. And I was working all day and then I would go to my private practice at night. And here's what I, I just had a memory of. I cannot tell you because I lived in an area where I didn't have family and didn't have friends. I remember when I came home one night and my father came downstairs to just let the garage up for me. I was moved to tears just because my father was with me and, and just loved me so much that he came down to, you know, to, to open the garage for me, for me to come in at night. I'll tell you another thing that my father did thinking about being watchful my father also, so the way that, you know, my, my husband at the time broke his legs was he, he missed a step, you know, he's going down the step. He missed a step. He fell and he, he broke one leg. And then he, you know, as he was going back up the step, thinking he could put his weight on the other leg, he broke the second leg, not realizing how fractured it was. And hopefully that doesn't traumatize my listeners. I'm sorry if it does. <laughs> But do you know what my father did when he got, when he came up to visit, he measured the steps and he said, oh, I see how he broke his steps. That shows you 
that my father, and, and this was according to the man I was married to. He said, your father didn't come up here for me. He came for you because he wanted to know what kind of man you were married to that would fall and break both his legs. He said he wanted to know if somebody had taken a bat out and broke five legs. He said he was coming to check on his child. And that was significant. And the reason why I think we had that, we were having that conversation was because my father also chose me to do his eulogy. And I was stunned when that happened. And I was talking to, you know, my then husband about like, why would he ask me to do this? And so that's when he said, this is who your father is and he loves you and he's really proud of you for what you are doing. And he said, he knows you are the person to do this eulogy. And my father chose me two years before he died to do his eulogy. And then he gave me his eulogy. So that's how special he was. And, um, and I will tell you, um, all throughout, and I'll go back to how he gave me the eulogy, but all throughout divinity school, I would call my dad because he was an elder in the church. So it's coming full circle. He knew our polity really, really well. And I would call my dad when I had a question about polity with the church. I would call him when I was going to do a sermon and say, dad, this is what I'm thinking of doing the sermon on. What do you think? Because my dad always read his Bible. He read his Sunday school lesson. He read his book of order because I'm Presbyterian. So we have a book of order. So I knew I could call him for anything. So because he was a Mason, I was doing a women's retreat one day and I wanted to use the model of building a house. And I called my father and I said, dad, you know, I'm going to be working with these women. Tell me about building a house. And he started telling me about building a house. And I thought, I don't, I don't think my dad is getting what I'm saying. But that spirit inside of me said, listen, listen. And he proceeded to tell me all about building a house. And he then talked about our relationships. And how we had to have a solid foundation and how we had to have reinforcement and how we had to have a roof and how you have to be careful who you hang around because who you hang around will determine how far you will go in life. And when he was done talking to me, it was for my retreat, but I called my sister and I said, dad just gave me his eulogy. And that's what I used for his eulogy. This cut, this idea of building a house. So my dad to me was perfectly imperfect and such a significant part of my life and who I am as a minister, but not only as a minister, but as a human being and as a soul being. I miss those retreats, I have to say. So I'm really glad that you told this story about your dad recognizing that your sister was with a child because I think... Um, especially for dads, right? My dad really paid attention could mean something really punitive and something really controlling and something else. And uh, that story seems to me to really, he had like a sense, right? Maybe spiritual or intuition or whatever that he really was tuned into his children. And I'm glad that you said you're the youngest of 10 because that's a lot of kids to keep track of and be tuned into. I got two and I can't handle it. Yes. I, I don't know how they did it. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. And, you know, Angel, I just want to do something really quick because I said my father's name was LQ Nathaniel and I started to, to spell the name, but I didn't. And then I've received a message since then to spell it. It's actually E-L-C-U-E. It's not an L and a Q. So just for clarity. Yeah. So that's wonderful. And, um, I had another thing I was going to ask. It'll it'll come back to me. Um, so your dad, I did not get to meet your dad, which I feel quite sad about. But I wonder if you'd say something a little more informal about him. What kind of sense of humor did he have? What kind of affect did he have on the day to day? Oh, my goodness. Let me tell you something. So first of all, some people might know I'm a talker. That was totally my dad talked like 
So my dad, we would have a choir, you know, go. So we'd go sing at different churches, right? Uh, church choir would. And he would always have to talk before singing. Like they would say, okay, it's time for this church to give their A and B selection. Some folks out there will know what that means. But we, and so my dad would always talk beforehand. And what I realized was, is that in doing so, he taught me that my voice matters, that I could go to any boardroom and speak. I could go anywhere and speak because, and he also listened to us. So my dad would say, I have learned so much from you girls. That's what he would say to me sometimes as an adult. But as a youngster, he, you know, if anybody came around to tease us, like, you know, sometimes older folks would do, he would say, tell them such and such. He would tell us how to snap back at them, right? In a respectful sort of way. My dad also was the kind that he did not uh, believe in being the disciplinarian with us. I mean, maybe one or two times, but for the most part, that was my mother's job. And it was really like, dad, like help, <laughs> you know, sort of thing. Um, and so he, he, he was definitely more of that kind. You could, you could always go like, if you wanted to, 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 to sit on his lap, you know, when you were little and know that you were going to be um, loved up. In fact, my father was much more demonstrative than my mother was actually. Um, but he was the kind of man as well that, um, in his own way, was very loving and supportive to my mother in terms of caring for her if she were ever sick and things like that. You know, on the day-to-day basis, my mother was the one who who was handling things. I mean, right? I mean, she was the one that was keeping the house together, even though she worked outside the home when I got older, but she was the one who was doing that. But my father uh, definitely was teaching us what it was like to be uh, a, a good human being, right? His, my father and my mother were teaching us that, but he modeled that for us in the ways in which he he talked about people and cared for people. And my father also really, really loved his grandchildren, right? So even as an older man, he would care for them when they were just little babies. And I'm like, how do you how do you do that? Because he was home every day, and so I had a niece who would drop her child off to him. And my father, again, was in his seventies. She would drop her baby off, her her baby off when she went to work. Not even a toddler. So my dad would keep her. And, you know, now she thinks she's the favorite grandchild because her papa loved her. So, um, but that was the beauty is that he could, he could express that love to his grandkids, you know. That is so wonderful. And I feel like in this segment, I've learned more about your dad. We've talked a lot about your family. So thank you for sharing that. And I think we're about to go to break again. Is that right? Yes, yes, yes. So we'll be right back with the Dismantle Racism Show. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. 
Okay, we're back on the Dismantle Racism show. I'm your guest host, Angela Todd. I'm an archivist and historian. And Terilyn, one of the things I wanted to say about your dad, who we've been talking about before the break, is I love how much you include him. Now, I am a historian, right? So I love how much you've included him since I've known you. And I feel like I know him, even though he passed before we really connected. Um, I think including him in your book makes him a timeless figure, frankly. And I encourage everybody to consider the ways that you can bring your ancestors forward with you. You've done a beautiful job. Thank you. So also in the last segment, we learned more about your dad. And I, I kind of liked the um, informality of, you know, I've read your book. I've heard about your dad and just hearing a little more about him humanized him even more in my eyes. And I love hearing about your love for him. Um, so one of the things that you did say is that he's perfectly imperfect or imperfectly perfect. How did you say it? I said perfectly imperfect, I think. I, I think, uh, maybe I said it in the book the opposite way, I'm not sure, but. Which we all uh, are, right? Yeah, right. You know, and, and Angela, for me, um, Look, no one is perfect. My dad was not without his flaws. In fact, I think that that was one of the reasons why he got me to do his eulogy because he knows that or knew that I wouldn't get up there and just say that he's just this great thing and we've gotten all the things that maybe we would have liked to have been different. And I actually, in my eulogy, talked about um, that my dad knew that sometimes his home might have been in disrepair because. Even though I realize now that I probably had a charmed life, uh, you know, there were times that I, I think that like in any marriage, my parents might have had their difficulties, mm -hmm. but their marriage was their marriage and it was not the father daughter relationship. Right. And I think that it's really important for people to be able to separate those two things. And so while I had a deep, deep love for my mom and I didn't always appreciate um, sometimes how my dad showed up in that relationship, it did not prevent him from being the dad that I needed. And so that's why it's important for me to be able to acknowledge that and to acknowledge that, look, my dad, as I said in the earlier segment, you let something happen to my mom. My dad was right there and you let something happen to him. You know, she was right there. There was no bones about who, you know, like if they were in the hospital, especially with when it came to like my mother with my dad in the hospital, the doctors knew this is who you're talking to. Not the, not the child who's there. I mean, and when I say child, I mean, people who are grown children, right? Who are there to help navigate. It didn't matter whether my mother was in her 80s, late 80s or not. No, I am the one that you're going to talk to as it relates to him, right? So so that's what I mean when I say perfectly imperfect um, to, to really kind of have folks to acknowledge who our ancestors were for us and to acknowledge that we don't even know the impact of racism, particularly on people of color and how it helped them or shaped them to show up in the world. Well, really all of us, because even when we're talking about white people, there's been an impact of racism. And so speaking of that, one of the things I want to say about my father is for both my father and my mother, as much as we lived in a racist state, they didn't talk about race a lot. In fact, when I tried to ask both of them about race, there was a, I think it was too, too painful. Hmm. Neither of them would really open the door to talk about it at length. The only thing my father ever said to me is I was asking him a question about Fannie Lou Hamer. And this was as an adult, when I was learning just how uh, much she had been brutalized in her efforts to vote. I said, dad, did you all ever have those issues when you tried to vote? And he just said to me, no, white people were different in this part of town than they were in the Delta, right? Now, 
My father was also cautious though, because when he came up to care for my children. And that was in Connecticut. That was in Connecticut. When he came up to care for my children, when, um, you know, um, their dad broke his legs, I was actually going to have a young white girl to come over to help him. And he said, no. And he said no because of the history of Black men being accused of rape. He was very clear with why he was saying no. And my father didn't have a problem with white people on a day-to-day basis, but he was not going to put himself in a position that someone was going to accuse him of something. And so even though we didn't talk about racism on a day-to-day basis, there were things that they that the people in the neighborhood did to help us know how to navigate, you know, whiteness and how to navigate a white society. My older sister tells the story once of where a white woman came to our house because her car had broken down and she needed a ride to get to the next town or whatever. And she talks about how both my mom and dad got in that car to go take her where she needed to go because they knew and they understood and so there were things that we could watch them do to navigate uh, racism, but they never taught us to be subservient, uh, even though I heard them say yes, sir, no, sir, to white people until I got to a certain age. And then then that stopped. And I think uh, another family member had some. Uh, my my brother, who was next to me, was like, why do you why do you say yes, sir, no, sir, to those people? Right. You don't need to say that. And I think. Whatever conversations they had, I noticed that that it stopped because my brother would say something all the time. Which is how generational change happens, right? Yes. So at yes. some point, you and your siblings were further down the path of relationship with white people or, you know, how racism hopefully is on its way to being, I don't know, abolished. That might be a little hopeful. But anyway, so they were open also to being taught. And I find that beautiful. It's incredible. And and so here's the other thing about my parents that's really important. And I know you're going to ask me about these people, but my pastor was a white pastor. And he was my pastor for years. I mean, he's primarily the only one that, that I really, really knew. My parents never talked about him as a white being. They loved him. They supported him. He would come to our house to like, you know, back then pastors would go house to house and visit folks, come for dinner. He was uh, there when my father died and my father was 86, um, but he was on the dais when my father died, even though I was doing the eulogy. Um, and, and there was always such love between them. Yeah. So they modeled how to be with folks who are different than we are racially, ethnically, all of that. And so uh, I am who I am because of them. And this pastor in particular was to be a pastor in an all black church in Mississippi in the seventies. I can't even imagine the conversations he experienced when he was with his white colleagues. Because I, what I know is people say things in group that they won't say otherwise, right? Right. So before we move forward, I want to thank you for talking about the imperfections of your dad. I feel like it's extremely healing to know the truth, right? As a historian, as your friend, as an anti-racist agitator, um, thank you for not uh, Pollyanna-ing us, whatever. So before we move to your pastor, who we will talk about a little later, there was another church elder that you've told a lot of stories about. And part of what amazes me about it is the kind of relationship that he was willing to, like an intellectual relationship with a kid. Mm. Can you tell us about him? So that's Mr. Mel. I love, 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 love to this day, Mr. Mel. And Mr. Mel only had a fourth grade education but you would never know it. And he would always, when I would go by and visit him, because my parents would let me just go to his house and 
you know, sit with him and chat with him about things. And he would ask me things about like, well, what do you think of Halloween? What does that mean to you? Why? Why Halloween? Well, because some see Halloween as a, like an evil holiday, right? Like if you're Christian, you shouldn't be celebrating Halloween, blah, blah, blah. So he would just, you know, pick questions out to ask me. As a matter of fact, he asked me what I thought about LGBTQIA. You know, That's not what he said at the time, though, right? Well, he asked me, he says, what do you think about gay people? No, because we weren't using those right. LGBTQIA. But he right. said, he, he, he asked me, now I'm a teenager and I'm at his house and I still can see him sitting in his chair and I'm sitting in his chair, it's just two of us. And he says, well, what do you think about uh, homosexuality? Do you think it's wrong? Now, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm following along with what, what I believe the Bible is teaching. And at the time, I said, well, I guess it's wrong if that's what the Bible says. And he said, well, the Bible says, let man not lay with anything that's unnatural. And as far as I can tell, that's natural for them. Blew my mind. So that's like close. I mean, he is setting you up to be an academic, right? That's reading and interpretation. And that's thinking for yourself. And, and, and my parents always touch it. So that that's, so the beauty of being Presbyterian is that we do get to think for ourselves, but as a, as a man with a fourth grade education to be able to say, he was setting me up for academia, but he was setting me up to say, love all people, accept all people, understand that God created all of us and God didn't make any mistakes with that, right? Who's having a conversation in the seventies with a youngster right? in segregated Mississippi? He could have been talking to me about anything, but he chose to ask me about that. That was teaching me how to dismantle and to take down systems. Yes. Right there. And so I know. And so what people have to understand is that we don't have to take down a system by banging on doors all the time. It starts with one conversation at a time. And that's what Mr. Mel did for me. It's just boom, just blew my mind with saying that. And so it took me some years to reconcile it, but he opened the door for it. Now, I also could ask him any questions I wanted to about the Bible and didn't feel like he was going to say, why are you asking me those questions? And I know we got to break, Angela. I know. I'm sorry. But but what he would do is he would say to my parents, your daughter has a lot of questions about the Bible. You need to talk to her about it. But they never shut me down. And they allowed me to look at the Bible critically. Because if I can look at the Bible critically, and I can see what it's saying about one group of people. I can see it about another. And I can also then, with shock of all shock, can see the racism in the Bible as well without them ever telling me to look for it. I can see where racism shows up. But that's a whole nother show for us <laughs> to talk about. So we are going to take a break because when we come back, you know, uh, I, I want to be able to be sure that I include my pastor in our conversation too. So we'll be right back. Yeah. What really drives success in business? Introducing Intangify, the show that explores the intangible assets that create value and growth. I'm Matthew Asbell, your host and an attorney focused on innovation. Join me Fridays at noon Eastern to discover how innovation, culture, and other intangibles shape thriving companies from startups to established businesses. We'll share strategies to unleash your business's true potential. Tune in live on talkradio.nyc Fridays at noon Eastern and Intangify, your business today. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? 
I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Angela, for some reason, we can't hear you. Oh, I'm unmuted. Oh, there you go. There you go. Oh, okay. Uh, we're back with Dismantle Racism. I'm your guest host, archivist, and historian, Angela Todd. And we're talking with Reverend Dr. Carolyn Curry Avery about the important men that shaped her life and her mission. And when we left off, we were talking about Mr. Mel. And so he was, just refresh us, a neighbor? So Mr. Mel was uh, an elder in our church. And uh, yes, a neighbor. He lived down the road a piece, but everybody was connected in our community because everybody knew. Everybody we went back and forth to one another's churches all the time. So uh, he eventually was like a grandpa to me. So was he an elder at your church then? Yes. So- yes. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of fluidity in the of course yeah. belonged where. Right, right. And how did Mr. Mel contribute to what you understood or thought about white folks? So really, it's very interesting because I think that it was the modeling of you know going into spaces that were predominantly white and holding your own. And what do I mean by that? Anybody knows Presbyterians is a white, white denomination. There are very few uh, churches of color in each what we call sort of region Senate, right? Uh, Or Presbytery. So he would go to Presbytery meetings and be one of only a few, him and my dad and, and mom, one of only few Black folks in these meetings, but he had no problems getting up. Again, fourth grade education, no problem getting up and speaking about issues. And here's something else I wanna say so so that folks can be really clear. With that fourth grade education, he spoke standard English. And I'm not saying that standard English is the end all be all because it's a power language and we can get into that or not. But he wasn't using these, that, this, and those, and all of those things. He spoke in a way that was very eloquent. And in fact, my parents always taught us to act like we weren't going to just be in those spaces all of our lives, to know that we were going to do more in life than what we were doing in those moments. And so Mr. Mel, just by the fact of the ways in which he interacted with the pastor, the ways he interacted on the floor. Because though I never went to Presbytery, I would hear about Mr. Mel speaking on the Presbytery's floor. I was going to ask you about that. And was there discussion about racial difference at the bigger Presbytery meetings? Because we talked about your mom being really active, pretty high up the hierarchy. So I, I wouldn't know because they didn't come home and talk about those things. But what I do know is... They, um, so when my mother died, someone from the presbytery came, a woman who had been in some of the the Presbyterian women's meetings. And she talked about how mom always spoke. And she said she was often very quiet, but when she opened her mouth to speak, we all listened to what she had to say. And so the fact that Years late, this woman is coming saying these glowing things about my mom. Was you know, she white? She was a white woman. Yeah. You know, and, and the other thing I want to say, and I know you want to ask, we got to talk about um, my pastor. It, it seems like there's a part two in here, Angela. 
Um, but but the thing about it too, what my father also did, speaking of LGBTQIA issues, one of my last conversations with my father, live conversations, there was a, uh, in the Presbyterian denomination, there was a conversation about uh, whether gays should be ordained as mm-hmm. ministers and as officers. So my father, I didn't even bring it up. He brought it up. He said, that's nothing but political stuff. We've been fighting about this since the 60s. It's all politics. And basically he was saying, it doesn't matter. Right. So my my parents were very open. Uh, you know, they, they didn't go around just talking about stuff all the time. They may not call you to say, hey, you know, this issue, that issue. But they had their ways of introducing a topic to us saying, you know, don't spend your time, you know, arguing about whether that people can be ordained or not because it's political. It's not about God, right? So what did your family pastor have to say about that? We've got five minutes. I want to try to move us into talking so, about your pastor. We never, we never talked about it, Angela. We never talked about homosexuality in, in the church. We didn't do that at all. However, what I do think is important that I want to convey in our last few minutes about Reverend Wilson, because I loved, loved, loved Reverend Wilson. Reverend Wilson models for me something that I didn't even see coming. Reverend Wilson was a white pastor who pastored a predominantly black church. Only his wife came, just the two of them. We trusted him immensely. Fast forward years later, I'm a black woman pastoring a predominantly white church. I already knew how to move in and out of those spaces because of my life right? In terms of dealing with white people a lot, but I knew how to pastor a racially different congregation because he modeled it for me. And I knew how to show up as my God self, no matter what the circumstances were. Because church folk, all of us got a lot to deal with. That's why I never wanted to become a pastor because I think church folks are crazy, but I am a pastor And he modeled it for me. And so while we didn't talk about him a lot on this show, he's he's my example of how to uh, be a pastor. And then, of course, later on, I met other pastors who helped to shape me, too. But when I first began my ministry, I modeled it right after him with what he did. Tell us his full name and how old you were when he came to your. Oh, you're asking me to go way back there, Angela. His name. Well, let's was, start. Yeah. So his name was Reverend um, Donald Wilson, and Mr. Mel. His name was Melvin Ford. Just so that oh, people. Right, listen. right. And I know that on your blog, you've written about both of these. Right? I have. I've have written about them. I talk about. I talk about them in my retreats. I talk because that helps to keep the ancestors alive. And that's how profound they were. When I go to any space, I bring them into that room with me. I bring my mother, my father, Mr. Mel, and Reverend Wilson into the room with me. And and others too, but I distinctly talk about them. But for me, Angela, I think for him to agree that he was going to pastor an all-Black church is phenomenal. And we're talking Mississippi. So right there is teaching me about breaking down barriers. What year, approximately? Oh, 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 Angela. But you know why it matters. I, I, I know. It was like the early 70s. Yeah. And I think he was the pastor. Well, really, I know he was the pastor until I went to college. He, he was the pastor. So all my formative years, he, you know, he was my pastor. And we loved him so much that when my niece moved to Texas and she got married, she called him to come and marry her. And he drove from Mississippi to Texas to marry her. And he was just so honored. And she was like, but you were my pastor all my life. So who else would I get to marry me? You know, so. So we have about two minutes left. I wonder if you could say specifically something about um, your pastor, about how you saw him in a racially what's the opposite of charge? Like in a, in a way of like. So Angela, I I will tell you to me, he was the epitome of love, right? He's the epitome of love. And that's all I could say about him. In fact, 
yes, we did see his color, that he was white, but it wasn't like the predominant thing that this is a white pastor in a black church and his hierarchy telling us what to do because he was so humble, so, so humble. He always listened to what we had to say. And he was very uh, good at being a mediator when he needed to be a mediator for something. So I just love him, love him, love him, love him to death. And I know, Angela, that we have to go because because um, <laughs> our time has run out. But um, it always does. Um, so um, I so just I want- Oops, go, ahead. Oh, go, ahead. go ahead. I know that everybody's from Waterford, Mississippi. What else do they have in common? Just quick, quick. I think what they have in common is 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 love for God first and foremost, and love for humanity. That's what connects us all. Knowing that we are a part of a bigger body, because racism is a spiritual disease. Mm. And I think the ways in which they interacted and taught us is to care about who you are, know who you are, and who you are, and then you just love people based on that, that we are not subservient to anybody. We are all the manifestation of God. So that's what it says in your theme song. We are all connected. And that yes. was the inspirations for me to ask you this question, how, how we are all, how they are all connected. Yes. Well, Angela, I want to thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being a guest on my show. Okay. I want to thank my listeners. I hope that you got a lot out of it. I thought, I think there are ways in which you can learn how to lead by example and that action speaks louder than words. Please stay tuned for the Conscious Consultant Hour with Sam Leibowitz, where he helps you to walk through life with the greatest of ease and joy. Be well, be safe, be encouraged. Until next time, bye for now. business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your conscious consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about health to advocate for all of us. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism, 
Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 